official Azuzi Ute A-League podcast brought to you by Neds. I'm Daniel Garb. Great to be with you. It's a podcast with a difference. Most of you are probably listening, but if you are lucky enough to be watching or unlucky enough to be watching and uh, and looking at us, then it looks like something out of Sky Sports. I feel like Dave Jones. I feel like I'm next to Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville. How are you, lads? Very good. I'll take that. Very well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I played as well as Gary Neville, but you know. It feels like that sort of scene for us over here at the beautiful Allianz Stadium, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here. You start to realise the sort of depth of this new stadium. Normally, we just see the uh, the press box, so it's nice to see a different angle. I know most people are listening, so it's probably lost on you. Apologies for doing so. We'll get back to normality uh, in a moment. But the grand final is set, and that's the most important thing of all. The Melbourne City side will take on the Central Coast Mariners, and both looking for their second championship. It feels like Melbourne City have had a couple more in in the books, but uh, they've lost a couple of grand finals. The Mariners have lost three, so both looking for their second. The Central Coast Mariners, what a story, looking for their second 10 years after the first. Yeah, and um, I think if, if you know most people listening and, and watching will, will be in agreement, so I think it's nice to see a grand final with the two best teams from the regular season in it. You know, if, if you, you look at the the levels that both of these sides have been able to, to push themselves to, Melbourne City, you know, Premier's three years in a row, they've been the best team take out the championships, they've been the best, most consistent team for, for that period of time, and, and to see the Central Coast Mariners qualify for the grand final you know they got themselves into second spot late in the season they've carried that form through into into that magnificent game at, at, in Gosford on, on Saturday night so to see those two there as a football purist I think it, it just highlights just what I think will be the best game between the teams that were available in the final series that, that have qualified for this grand final, Tom. Oh, you're such a European purist, aren't you? With your league table nonsense. Yeah, you're absolutely right in the sense that those two, uh, those two are the, be- the best teams and also the teams who are in form. That's the thing. What was really apparent in the finals when we got down to the those last four teams standing was that um, Melbourne City blew Sydney FC away and in the end, the Mariners didn't blow Adelaide away, but they were far too strong because they're the teams who've come to form just when it matters. It's going to be a heck of a confrontation. Yeah, can't wait for it. We're going to go through the games in a moment. Because we've got the week off, a chance for us to perhaps look at so many of the great individual performances throughout the season. We'll d- dissect the Johnny Warren medal. That's coming up and next Thursday night. Can't wait for it, June 1st. And the Coach of the Year, Young Player of the Year Award, the Goal of the Year, Save of the Year, Goalkeeper of the Year. We'll go in-depth on all of those uh, individual awards to come, which will be no doubt interesting for people to, to listen to. I'm sure you'll have different opinions on all of that. Um, and we're taking it to the Neds level today. Neds is the official wagering partner of the A-Leagues. You can take it to the Neds level with the Neds early payout. Place a match result bet on any A-League men game. There's only one left now. If your team leads by two goals at any point in the match, wouldn't that be a story in the grand final? You'll be paid out early. That is taking it to the Neds level. You win some, though. You lose more. For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. So Melbourne City and the Mariners. And Melbourne City's place, let's start there, as brilliant as Gosford was. On, on Saturday night. Let's leave the uh, the main course for a little bit later and go with the entree. And that is that. What a performance by Melbourne City. The Premiers prevail. The march on to a fourth consecutive grand final. It seemed locked away by the time Max Burgess had that brain fade. And it was just, I mean, it's such a big talking point. It will be for a while. The first time I saw the vision, I thought, oh, maybe he's slipped. Maybe he'll get away with it. Maybe he's just, it, it wasn't intentional. Then you look at the angle from the other side and you go, Max, what on earth have you done? How in the first half of the second leg of a semi-final have you produced a challenge like that at a place that is so difficult to go to like Melbourne City away? Yeah, um, 
I know Max will, will will undoubtedly, and Tom's got a little bit more insider info on, on this. Will be will be fuming with himself. He will be distraught. I know the team, his teammates. You know, they're, they're not exactly going to blame Max. It's so out of character it, too. That's the other well, aspect. It's right? the third it time he's isn't. done it this season. Well, he it got seems s- out of character of the way he conducts himself. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's not such then. A, a sort of happy-go-lucky figure. Yeah. You know, we joke that he's a 29-year-old in a 16-year-old's body. He looks like a, a kid, but he's not. He got sent off for one earlier in the season. He got away with another. It, it's. And, and he was distraught um, from all accounts. He was up in the, one of the coaches' boxes, absolutely devastated, blamed himself. Um, and he'll carry that for, for a long time because it was a big game that he would want to have bestrode and, and been a big player in. And then suddenly he's turned the whole contest on its head. Um, but it's a, it's a bad tackle. You, you, I know what you mean about the first angle, but mm. then you see the third angle, I think it is, and you see the foot or the studs rather go into the calf and you think... That's um, that's not a tackle that's allowed on a football pitch. I think you say bad, Tom. I think if we're being honest, it's a shocker. It is a shocker, and and you know, you, there's no way you can go. You can try and get a result there with ten men. They've been unbeaten at home all season. They are that good a football footballing side. They know exactly what we want. They want to do, and we saw them here in the first leg. You know, they rode out the storm for the first fifteen minutes, and then they just they knew that the the sort of the autopilot kicked in with Melbourne City, and it's something that they've been drilled into them all season. That they have these patterns of play, the style. You know what is if you think of Melbourne City, you know how they're going to play. So when you go down to ten men that early on, they didn't shoot themselves in the foot; they shot themselves in the head because yeah. they weren't going to win that game. And it's it's unfortunate for them because you know you thought away from home, Melbourne, uh, Sydney FC are better than they have been here, yeah. and you thought. You know they've got this. They've got a chance with the, the star talent, the individuals they've got. But you, you, they were, as soon as that happened, that was it. It was game. They were never going to win that game. That analogy is as graphic as Max Burgess's tackle, pretty much <laughs> shooting themselves in the head. But um, the other aspect of it is City were playing on momentum, so you know they, they weren't necessarily. I mean, they're playing pretty good football, but it wasn't like it was breathtaking. There was this wave of momentum carrying them into this stage of the final series. And we did wonder where they're going to run out of petrol tickets, you know, with the slightly ageing squad, the derby in the elimination final. Was it all going to catch up with them eventually? The last thing they needed was either an early goal or a red card like that. They had to find a way to keep that momentum going into, say, the hour mark. And then they could build on that. It just, you could tell that that was them spent. And Melbourne City don't need any invitation to take full advantage. The whole Sydney game plan was was based on containment and on um, nicking something on the break at some point, but then maybe the contest is still alive, then going for it in the last 10, 15 minutes. And it, we'll never know what mm. would have happened. It's one of those real shames. It's like the grand final between the same teams when Luke Bracken was sent off. Yeah. We'll never know what might have played out, what epic contest we could have had. Uh, because uh, I thought Melbourne City were actually, were they were sizing Sydney up. They were switching play constantly. They have that brilliant delivery, that sort of live in-game delivery into the box where they can pick out players so well. But they choose, And they're choosing the right moment to do it. They're switching the players, as I said, um, waiting and just death by a thousand cuts, really, for Sydney, waiting for that lapse in concentration. But they didn't have to because then when you're down to 10 men and you, you just know the game's against you and Sydney couldn't really leave anybody up front. As soon as the first incursion is made, the game's over, really. And uh, I'd say a quick word for Andrew Redmayne, who... But he was the difference between a 4-0 defeat and what could have been much, much worse. Yeah, loved Marco Tilio's goal. I mean, they're all important goals, but that was a, 
a nice moment to sit back and watch a young Aussie player produce a, a level of skill. Okay, the stage wasn't enormous because of, the game was pretty much done for. But again, we've just seen a sign of his quality once more. And he's making a habit of scoring some very big goals and, and goals that grab headlines. And it was just a wonderful finish that, yeah, it, it created a great moment inside that stadium for the fans who, uh, who were there to cheer on Melbourne City into the grand final. I'm fairly sure that's... Ten goals, five assists Brilliant. for Marco Tilio now, and, and in such a competitive attacking exactly. group. Exactly, and but what's most impressive about that, I th- I personally think, is that he's become a player that you can rely on now, and at such a young age, and for someone who's who moved away from Sydney FC to to be exactly that, to get his chance, but then earn the right to be in the team every week, and that's what he's done. And you know, he's in a he's in a squad full of, and this is no disrespect to any of the other squads in the A League, but. There's so many intelligent footballers in this Melbourne City team, like Van der Ven, Berisha, you know, Matthew Leckie. Berenguer, Berenguer, people forget about. Like, they're, they're, there's so much depth there. And for him to be holding his own and, and starting in these big games, you know, back-to-back semifinals, Rado Vidicic has said, you're my man. Mm. Go out there and do what I know you can do and sh- do what you've shown you can do all this season. He said early, uh, on the players' pod earlier this year that, you know, he feels now's the right time that he wants to move overseas. He believes he's ready for it. You know, there's going to be quite a few players in that Melbourne City team that the grand final will be their last game for the club. And I think that that just speaks volumes of, of the way in which Marco Tilio has, has approached this move to Melbourne City. He's stuck at it. But also, I think it speaks volumes of his character because he's clearly listening to the coaches around him and he's taking on board every piece of feedback, be it positive or negative. And it's it's you can see it in his performances. His character goes a long way. Um, I'm really taken by his um, lack of ego. By the he's almost like at times he feels like, gosh, am I really here? Like there's a little excitement in him that he's getting to hang out with these the big kids and play the big football. And you can see the way the exuberance in the way that he plays. It's so far it hasn't gone to his head. He has been so well managed by City over the years. Even in games, he gets still gets coached by the senior players in terms of movement. They don't let him slack off, and he is flowering as a result of that. Humble, level-headed kid. Um, so you just you want the best for him. If you ever met him and spoken to him, he's just such a good person to talk to. And I think he'll be fine when he goes to Europe because he'll deal with the setbacks pretty well. He'll be able to just stay calm and, and get through them and his quality will eventually take over. I was really happy for Curtis Good um, because he's such an interesting story in Australian football. Like You would have thought he'd have 25 Socceroos caps by now, but injuries have held him back. And then when he has got his form together, for some reason he hasn't been called up. Others have jumped in front of him. Nice to see him get that goal. And I'd like to see him come into the national team reckoning. Maybe it's too late for him now. Maybe he's too old. I'm not sure. But it's Ange Postacoglu loved him. He had Curtis Good nailed down as when he got the Socceroos job, as you know, Tommy. Like my centre-back of the future, ball player, good defender. Then he had that horrible injury at Newcastle. Arnie wanted to bring him in as well. Didn't quite work for him. I'd like to see him get something really enjoyable in his career, and, and that goal was a nice moment for him. I remember the um, the point at which he was ruled out just before the 2014 World Cup and devastation for him, mm. and as it would be for any player, but given what he'd gone through at Newcastle, the previous injuries, uh, the way he'd fought his way back to be in contention, then it all fell apart again. Um, but he's And he's finally he's consistent in terms of his body and playing regularly. Um, he's always, always been a terrific terrific centre-half, um, absolutely has to be in the conversation as we look at the renewal of the national team and which young players are going to push. He's not so young, but which mm. players are going to push for, for contention. He's got to be in there. So I asked this question, though. The red card for Sydney. I do wonder if that may just hold Melbourne City back a little bit come the grand final because their defence wasn't fully tested. And they are coming up against a force 
in the grand final. That is a Central Coast Mariners front four. I just wonder if you're part of the, the Melbourne City defence, whether you would have liked the chance to be put under the cosh a little bit at times and see if you can get through it in a big final. They didn't really get that against Sydney because they went down to 10 men. And they won't discuss it, of course, but you just wonder up against the way in which the Mariners are attacking in a neutral venue, grand final. Yeah, there's an opportunity there for Central Coast still to expose them because they really weren't put under massive pressure. Realistically, I think they'll be fine the fact that they didn't get put under that pressure because they, you know, they've been through it the whole season and they've been such a solid defensive unit all season. I understand 100% what you're saying. I think with the Mariners, that fantastic four, if you like, that they've got at the top end of the pitch, they can cause problems for anyone. I do think Melbourne City have the confidence and as we touched on earlier, that the structures amongst the team to believe that they can cope with anyone. But I think with going into this game, what might play into what you're saying, what might come into it is that they've played two games obviously they had that week off and for anyone who saw the All Access episode last week Scott Jamison absolutely nailed it in his in his sort of the huddle before the game he said they're going to think that we're rusty Yeah, they're going to come out at us the first 15 minutes and they managed that really well and I just think with this 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 squad this, this defensive unit that they've got I do think they will concede chances to, to the Mariners because they've conceded a lot more chances as a defensive unit under Rado Vidicic than they did under well, Patrick Well, that's Kisnorba. the point I'm trying to make. You know, is there still maybe just a little bit of rustiness potentially for Central Coast to expose because they didn't get through the ultimate test that Sydney could have provided? Funnily enough, we've got the two best attacks going, but I don't think these ga- this game is going to be decided by which attack best which defence. The game will be decided in midfield and the supply lines to those two attacks. And the way that the Mariners try to play, they're very direct. They play great football, but they're very direct. They move ball so quickly into midfield and very accurately through it into that front four. City are more cagey. They mark to, to move the ball around. I've said it three times now. They switch the play. But whichever t- midfield gets control of the contest can then supply its forward line mm. Yeah, of course, we're going to have... The, later in the game, if it's if the contest is still alive, it'll get transactional. It'll be you attack, I attack, all that kind of stuff. But I think the weight of the contest is going to be a really young midfield in the Mariners against that European experience that you were talking about before. And that, to me, is the fascinating heart yeah. of this. Yeah. It'd be great to watch Joshi Nisbet on a massive stage. I mean, everyone just loves watching Snapping him go at about the heels it. Yeah, of, it'll be yeah, awesome. And that'll get the, and, he's the cult hero for obvious reasons, and that'll get the Mariners crowd going, and they should outnumber Melbourne City in the stands. You'd think they'd be busloads of fans coming down from, from Gosford. And yeah, Maxi Ballard, how does he go? Aidan O'Neill's been superb all season. He'll try and live for the occasion. So that's a battle to watch out for. But yeah, let's talk about Saturday night on the Central Coast. There's not even time to take the corner. Ten years on, the Mariners are returning to the grand final. I thought the way in which that front four lifted amid the 20,000 supporters and the energy in that stadium was just fantastic. And we've talked about their selflessness all season and their fluidity. What stood out for me was the pace in which they played. I love watching a team rise with the occasion. And they seem to all have an extra yard of pace because of the energy in that stadium. They did everything they've been doing all season, but just that little bit quicker. And Adelaide couldn't cope, obviously. No, they couldn't. And I think... Adelaide had their chances and you could sense that in the crowd there was a even though obviously they had the aggregate league going into the game when Adelaide did go forward on a few you know occasions there was a, a kind of a, a holding of the breath from the fans which it obviously then just goes to show and, and highlights just how much it meant to them going forward they were so nervous they rode it like a ro- like a roller coaster but 
what was so nice is that there was a moment I was standing sort of by the tunnel, I reckon about an hour and 20 minutes before kickoff. And there was a like the, the the dance troupe in the middle of the pitch were doing their warm like the the, the practice for the halftime routine. And Jason Cummings came out, and the, I think it was with him and Nectaris Triantus, I think. And you could tell he was up for it. He was bouncing around. The music was pumping, and there was a swagger about him that just thought those players walking out onto that pitch with you know nineteen thousand, twenty thousand when when it was all finally full. They just they just they lived it. You know, and you could you could see what it meant to them when they came out onto that pitch. They 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 were so fueled by everything that they did. The fans responded to. They then responded to the fans, and it was so brilliant to watch. And like you said, when they've got young players that we've said they're fearless all season, any little bit of encouragement it put them up another level. And and you know you you say about Max Ballard and, and Josh Nisbet, they rattled into every challenge. They 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 would they ran everywhere. And then Benny and Cololo would drop deep and would support them. Sam Silvera was outstanding again and was he mm. picked up so many different positions. Jason Cummings and, and Marco Tullio once he warmed into the game was was unplayable. And I felt so sorry for Ben Warland. You know, was, just couldn't get close to him at times. But yeah, uh, Tom, you were there, and it was it just felt like it was one of those nights where no matter how hard Adelaide tried the Mariners would would have an answer for what they threw at them Mate, the, the atmosphere was phenomenal I was typing faster than normal let alone anyone <laughs> running faster than normal um, there, there was a really crucial moment when uh, Zach Clough hits the post for Adelaide halfway through the first half and there was a moment of, of like, are we going to throw this away you could feel the crowd and that's when Cummings sees the occasion. We talk a lot about the players who can affect the outcome of a game, who are an adornment to a game but don't necessarily change the outcome of it. Whereas Cummings drifts out wide. He finds a pocket of space on the wing. Nisbet finds him. Unfortunately, humiliates Ben Warland, cuts into the area, takes it, takes it, takes it right to the byline to the point where you thought he'd run out of pitch, waiting for support. And that wonderful run from Silvera, I think we need to track it almost because he runs a long mm. way to reach... Th- the six-yard box at the right time gets the little flick across from Cummings. And that in that moment, Cummings takes the contest and says, I'm going to decide the outcome of this and gets the crowd going again. And suddenly at that point, I, even notwithstanding the fact they scored again two or three minutes later, there was no doubt at that point mm. that the Mariners were going to win because the nerves went mm. and the atmosphere was turbocharged again. And yes, Adelaide had a couple more chances after that, but they were so far behind the eight ball by that stage. Um, the, the the outcome was never in doubt and it, it took one moment from a big player yeah. and then suddenly they were there. And, and a weakness of Adelaide was exploited as well. Robbie Cornthwaite's been on this for the last few weeks. He said Adelaide one-on-one defending is just not good enough. He said it on the A-League agenda numerous times and he said they just they don't defend well enough as a unit but then when they get, get into one-on-one situations they get pulled apart and that was the perfect example. I mean Jason Cummings second leg of a semi-final just cruising past a pretty experienced player in Ben Warland um, so they don't have the support around them defensively to make up for some of their one-on-one deficiencies and, and the Mariners they are going to expose you every time. I, I felt as if Colvitt missed a chance to play the ace up his sleeve and start Nestoria and Kunda. And it's a great talking point because, yeah, they did have good chances in the first half, but you saw the impact when Irun Kunda came on. Even when the game was pretty much lost, it was like, hang on, maybe they can get back into it now. He has a couple of efforts. You just go, this kid is just that good. 20,000 in the stadium. The best way to silence them is to drive the Mariners back. And Irun Kunda would have done it better than anyone else. He's their second best threat after Craig Goodwin. I just felt like it was the perfect chance to to play him and make that move. And to me, it feels like it was 
just lacking that little bit of courage um, in the starting 11 and, and it, Iren Kunda would have changed that. I'm going to disagree with you because I think that Iren Kunda, as I, I mentioned briefly in our short pod on Saturday night, isn't ready yet to play to a detailed game plan from the beginning. He, when he came on, the game was fracturing and the Mariners were dropping deep. They were holding on, not holding on, but they were basically defending their lead. And he, he, he dropped deep, he got the ball, he ran at them. And yes, he, he absolutely made things happen. But if you look at that chance that where Zach Clough hits the post, it comes from quick distribution by Gauchy. Goodwin, one fantastic pass. Halloran cut back hit the post it was so nearly the perfect goal for their game plan which was essentially to contain to the, the Mariners attack to neutralise the, the, the crowd mm. um, and then to hit them on the break with their pace and it, it, if that goal had gone in you know the contest could have been different uh, could have been very different and I don't think Iran Kunda could have played to the discipline of that yeah and I'm not sure it would have played to his strengths. And then he he got, he was frustrated on the bench, yeah, let alone he when he came in. He was frustrated in the action when he did come on. And I don't think he would have had the maturity to play the, the, with the discipline that's needed. But the game was over by the time he came on. Like it was. It that's was a different question. For. Whether well, he came on, for. whether he came on too late. I'd rather it? see him play 45. Try the Mariners back. All right, Nesta, you've had a crack. Maybe he's contributed a goal to level things up. At worst, you know, just silence the crowd a little bit because he's so exciting and, and the Mariners are on edge even more. You spoke about a bit of nervousness in the stadium. It would have, uh, you know, raised that to an extent. And I just felt like the move to just change the way the tie was was going and I would have loved to have seen it happen. I think it would have made a difference, but, um, you know, these are all hypotheticals, of course. I, I When I was I was there, you know, when you look to see, the first thing if you're in the press box is when you're looking to see the players come out for the second half, you think, is there going to be a change? And the way that first half panned out, Adelaide had their chances. Mariners wasted a few as well. Marco Tullio should have scored one in particular that was quite close in. But it didn't change the the complexion of the game for Adelaide. They still had to go, they still had to win that football match. And I just, you know, the way they started that second half, if if they had made a change, right, right on half time, second half, be it George Blackwood, be it Nestoria and Kunda, it asked another question of the Mariners, and they didn't do that. Yeah. And I think as soon as they went one nil down, I thought in my mind that would be you would see the change immediately. You know, they would be the players would be told right if it's if it stays as is for the first five ten minutes, we're making the change, and the players know who's going to come on, and they didn't do that. And then it went 2-0. And then there was a gap again before the substitutions came on. And I just think, and this is no criticism of, of Carl Viet, you know, given where he's got this team to. I just felt as though they froze a little bit, in particular, and that decision should have been made after it went to 1-0. Because then the game is, is almost over anyway. And the fact that, you know, they, they opted to go with Ethan Aligic coming in for Ibasuki and pushing Ben Halloran high, I don't think that worked personally because I, I don't think they knew exactly what, it looked like the team didn't really know where they were going to try and find a goal from. If Craig Goodwin was nullified, which he was, Storm Rue and Benny Incololo did a brilliant job on Craig Goodwin. And then it just looked as though they were kind of, I don't want to be disrespectful when I say this, but it looked like they were trying to just make things up as they went along and it wasn't working and something had to change early in that second half to put them in the ascendancy, to put them on the front foot and give the Mariners another problem yeah. and it just felt as though they didn't they weren't able to do that I just make one point quickly um, to, to what you just said there 
and Cololo and um, and Stormaru absolutely did a job on Craig Gordon, but they weren't alone. At one point, Cummings was back mm-hmm. alongside Stormaru, closing down Craig Goodwin. And this is really going to be really interesting as to how they tackle City. Um, they are super fit, uh, but they're going to have to find a level of performance that they haven't yet all season to be able to to shut down City's attack. And the Jacob Farrell move again came, comes on as soon as Nestor Aaron Kunda comes on. And you've watched football for a long time, Tom. I can't recall a, a player tag situation like this. I know we get it more in the A-League because two-leg semi-finals and all that, and they played each other a couple of times at the end of the season. But I can't recall a situation where it's common in some other sports where there's this one-on-one direct tag applied, one young player or another. It's brilliant theatre, but it's also just fantastic, fantastic uh, tactical astuteness from Nick Montgomery because I think Nestor Kunde, he looks across, he sees Jacob Farrell again, he thinks... For goodness sakes, leave me alone. Yeah, goes for a pee at half time. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the, 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 it's a really interesting point because Monty has said this to me before. You guys focus so much on the starting 11. You're obsessed with the starting 11, right. but it's the finishing 11 in many ways that you should look at as much because it, it is a genuinely a squad of 15 players. Some of them are going to play the whole game, but some of them won't for, for different reasons, not just injuries and fitness. There are different contests within the game and, and that management of the contest is a really fascinating part of the, the coach's role when when to bring certain players on I mean imagine if they had rolling subs you'd just be constantly changing it and shifting it around but um, change the um, the complexion of the defence um, the, the athleticism that Farrell brings to, to it um, maybe slightly more naive um, but, but just a, a really interesting sort of byplay between the two coaches and do you know what we, we talk about substitutions and you know we're all guilty of it watching, oh, Nestor, he's gone to warm up again. When's, when's he going to get waved back by the bench? You're coming on. Jacob Farrell appearing literally right over his shoulder as the subs board is going up. And this is me again. But the substitution in this game that for me was was arguably the best was Christian Theoharis. Yeah. Every time I've seen him come on the pitch this season, he has been fantastic. He was driving at the, at the Adelaide defence. And, and for every question that Adelaide hoped to, to ask of the Mariners' defence with Nestor Irunkunda coming on, that was nullified by Christian Theoharis because it then meant the Adelaide defenders had to go, oh, now we've got him to mark. And Sam Silvera swapped wings. Theoharis was down the left. He was so dangerous. He was such a fabulous player to watch when he's dribbling with the boys. His close control is excellent. He's got a real sort of burst of pace as well. It might not necessarily be over, over 50, 60 metres, but he can wriggle away from players. He was so dangerous. And, and like you said, Nick Montgomery is, you know, it almost felt like the smoke screen of Farrell and Irin Kunda was then to bring Thea Horace on and just go and hurt them at the other end and I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it almost takes away a bit from the narrative of David v Goliath but their attacking group is arguably as good as Melbourne City's. Um, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches there for, for Nick Montgomery and the Mariners. They've just gone about acquiring those players in a slightly different way to, to Melbourne City. We'll get on to the grand final in a moment. We're not going to go into enormous detail because we've got a week off, but we'll look at it briefly. We have to touch on Central Coast, though, and this story of, of getting to the grand final and where this club has come from. And 10 years since their last grand final appearance, and in that period, Tom, they've been one of the laughing stocks of Australian sports, certainly Australian football. Many people wondered if the club would fold. Um, the, the owner didn't care. It was just falling apart in every single aspect. Managers were there for a year and then walking out. To be in this position is just an awesome 
um, tale of renaissance from Nick Montgomery, Sean Mellencamp, and, and people in, at the Central Coast Mariners. It's one of the going to be one of the great narratives of the final is is the differences between the two clubs. Yeah. City is this behemoth that um, people will come and go, but the processes and structures of Melbourne City are unchanged. And we saw that with the the <clears throat> for a fair uh, fair play to to Rado Vidicic to be able to come in and effect a seamless transition. But it, the players are so well drilled, and all the systems are there. The Mariners is all about personality and people. And it's taken, you know, Sean Mielenkamp has been there for eight years now and he's um, got the, everything right, got all the appointments right. And the, and the appointments matter so much because Monty and Sergio Ramondo, the his assistant coach, they worked for two and a half years in the youth academy. They did so many things there in terms of bringing in a, a psychologist to talk to the to the 16-year-olds about their, their self-talk within games. What are they actually saying to each other? Uh, the group mentality. They've got stuff on the whiteboards in their offices about family values and stuff like that. So... You, you build a culture through people in, in the Mariners' case because it's it's such a small club that it, there isn't the, the resources and the, the and the, the sort of size to have all the Melbourne City-style structures in place. It's all about the people, and they've got really good people in there who've got great ideas and are affecting them. The challenge for the club, of course, is going to be that people, not just players, but coaches are going to become in demand, and the club have got to start planning for the long term within yeah. that narrow budget that they've got. But they should also really enjoy this moment because it is so satisfying to see a really nice club that was down on its knees now standing tall again. But they can win. This is the other aspect. Like That, that will be a narrative. David V. Goliath, oh, well done to the Mariners for being here and all that. But, okay, step aside now, please. Melbourne City, it's the grand final. They'll win it. And, you know, thanks for being there and creating a nice little storyline for us all. It's is not no, no, quite no. what I said, but... No, no, I know you're not saying that, but that will be what I think a lot of people will envisage in their mind. Yeah, fair point. They can win. Their front four is playing so well at the moment. And, I, I, you know, I know you made that point before, James. I'm not sure Melbourne City's defence is set to the extent it needs to be to ensure they can hold them off. The way in which they're playing, Incololo, coming Silvera, Tulio, Theoharis off the bench... They can score a couple against Melbourne City in this grand final. I think they are a serious shot, and we are set for an awesome encounter. If you look at the, the if you flip it and look at the other end of the pitch in, in, in the Mariners' defensive unit, I touched on this on the, the reaction pod that we did at the weekend. It's it it's a unit with Danny Vukovic at the back, who's just equaled the A League all time clean sheets record. But then the rest is a collection of of two rookies. As weird as that sounds in the middle of their defence with Brian Kaltak, who's 29. It's his first year in professional football. Nectaris Triantis has been outstanding and was outstanding again at the weekend. Stormrue and James McGarry are, are kind of uh, travelled footballers in, in Australia. They've had clubs, they found a home at the Mariners and they found a system that's working for them. And I think that could be, you know, if we focus on the fantastic four at the front of the pitch for the Mariners and the damage they can do, I think, you know, at the other end of the pitch, as much as we talk about how, you know, the 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 giant that is Melbourne City and the City Football Group and and little old Mariners and and you know again I, I said this at the weekend the final at Combank will feel like and this is no disrespect to, to the Marin, uh, the Melbourne City fans it will feel like it's the Mariners' occasion because they haven't been to a grand final in so long it's like when you see you know if, to use an example Newcastle against Manchester United in the Carabao Cup this year it was like Newcastle's final yeah. you know because they hadn't been there the fans hadn't seen that for so long it will feel like that and then you go well. You know, for everything that Melbourne City possess, can the Mariners deal with the occasion? Can those young players that have never been in this position before, can they deal with that occasion? And I think, well, the two, Tom said it, the, the coaching stuff they've got, I think they can. And for everything that's put in place off off the pitch, 
none of that matters when it comes to that game on June 3. You know, it's about how they deal with that occasion. And and as we you know we touched on, Melbourne City have been an outstanding force in the A-League for the last three years. The, consistently, they've been the best team. But they've lost two grand finals out of three. Yeah. Now, whether that will play in and whether they'll learn from that going into this game against the Mariners, I don't know. Nobody knows until we until kickoff. But I, I, I think from a mental perspective... Just because they're young, the Mariners, I think I think they can handle anything that, that gets thrown at them. Which is really interesting because it, it, 10 years ago when Arnold, Graham Arnold was in charge of the Mariners, at the start of the week leading into the grand final, he got the players together and he said, they're going to talk all week about the fact that you've lost three finals or this club has lost three finals. Are we the serial chokers? He took it head on, kept talking about it during the week. So it almost became old news by the time of the weekend and the game came along and they absolutely owned the occasion. It'll be really interesting to see the approach taken by Montgomery and Raimondo for, for their kids, but also for City, for the fact that they have lost two out of three. And Rado Vidicic, you know, has co- has not coached in a men's yep. grand final before. It's new for him. So to what extent does he lean on his senior players? I love it. There's so many narratives yeah. to play here. And one of them is, you know, I don't, I look at the Central Coast team and yeah, there's, there's some young players there, but they've also got some key experienced players in their spine. Jason Cummings being the main one. I mean, he's not going to be overwhelmed by the situation. You know, he'll, he'll be fine. He's played... Uh, big level football before he's cruising through it and the main one is Danny Vukovic Melbourne City have got Tom Glover as well and some experienced players we know that but I just think the importance of Danny Vukovic in that squad this season has been understated as a captain and as a goalkeeper I don't think he's lost much as a keeper he retired from the Socceroos maybe we don't talk about his actual goalkeeping as much because he doesn't come into those conversations national team and so on Um, as a leader as a figurehead for that club just critical and I think he, he brings it all together what a captain who is on who's the first on the training ground at Mariners every single day it's Danny Vukovic and through training you can hear that booming voice initially when he's, he's working with the goalkeepers he's encouraging the, the, the keepers who are with him but then when they go into the, the group play he's talking leading cajoling he's a big figure he's quite unassuming when you chat to him he's a really you know, he's quite quietly spoken and got the, obviously the amazing backstory with his son but on that pitch has grown and it's fascinating, someone who's followed the whole of the A-League, to see him grow from a, a young, impetuous kid into this family man and this leader. Well, I spoke to him at the start of the season when he signed for the Mariners for a Ned special. And he said he wanted to repay the Mariners as well because of what he did in that grand final so many years ago. Just here. Just here, where he copped that big ban for slapping the referee's arm, which he regrets enormously. And he said, the Mariners treated me so well through that process when a lot of other clubs might not have. And after all these years to come back, there's a part of me that wanted to give something back to them, not only for it bringing me through and giving me a chance and, and all that, but he, you know, he just really he never, never forgot the way in which they treated him through that process. And he gets the chance to have the ultimate redemption. I know he's done it with Sydney FC before, but to do it again with the Mariners, um, it's another great story coming into this game. He, he did a really interesting column for Keep Up uh, about how he said to himself, that grand final as a teenager will not define my career. And he's been through a World Cup. He's played in other grand finals. He's won a grand final yeah. with an amazing penalty shootout save. But wouldn't this, James, be the ultimate icing on a fantastic career? It would be. And the thing I like about Danny Vukovic so much is that I asked him after the game um, of the weekend about you know equaling that that A League clean sheets record, and he said honestly, he said I, I don't really care. He said there's only one thing that I'm focused on now, and that is being the father figure of the group you know leading because they are a young team leading them through and and I think if you Tom we were speaking about this at the weekend you 
you look at the Mariners and the journey they've been on and the people that are still associated with that club. Danny Vukovic will un- is undoubtedly the leader amongst the men there. But then lurking in the background, I say lurking, that sounds bad. I don't mean it like that. You've got Matt Simon. And, and what struck me as being so beautiful at the weekend is that when the Mariners were having the massive team photo with the crowd, mm. Matt Simon was the other side of the advertising hoardings next to the goal just stood alone and just watching on biggest smile on his face ever and 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 that i can imagine that he is going to be so crucial this this next two weeks as well as being one of those people alongside serge and alongside monty and alongside danny vukovic that takes some of the younger players aside and just doesn't necessarily give them a pep talk maybe just says have you got anything you want to talk about how are you feeling because it's so crucial because there the good thing that the mariners got they've got a lot of people that are involved with the club that have been there. And, and I just think, you know, when you've got someone that you can lean on, like Danny Vukovic and then, and you know, Matt Simon, I think it just, it just, it puts them in a place where they've got just so many nice ingredients there that can help in any small way. You feel for him, don't you? Because injury has crueled him with this opportunity, Matt Simon, hasn't it, Tom? It has. Um, but what's really impressed me is the way that he's, embrace that new role it's actually changed initially he was just sort of a shoulder for the players but they've given him far more responsibility because he did that so well and there was a fascinating moment I was at the Mariners training ground last week and they had an offer from from a player they, clubs get offers all the time so they had an offer came in from a player he lit, and he got he was at his desk he filed it he walked outside he got up a ladder got the drill and start, continued to rivet down the roof on the new gym structure that they're building out of um, shipping containers and at this sort of domed roof. And his and literally and metaphorically was rolling his sleeves up. And I said something to him like, is this a new skill? And he went, well, I used to be a plasterer. So, I, you know, I know, I know my way around a, a building site. And it was the unassuming way that he did it. It was kind of the way he played football and could have traded on what he used to do, what he used to be, that leader. It could have sulked a bit, could have not made that transition, but he's already a really crucial figure on so many levels. And yeah, it's, and it's absolutely cruel that uh, injury meant he's not able to go and play there, but he's he going to play an equally crucial role than if he was actually pulling on the shirt. So the Mariners is obvious now with all these discussions. They will be the neutrals' favourite. They will be. Melbourne City just has to deal with that. Nothing against Melbourne City. Fantastic individuals. We love the way they play. Be happy for a lot of their guys if they were able to, to win another one. And they given us so much joy in a footballing sense, but they're such contrasting football clubs that if you're not a Melbourne City fan, you will probably be hoping the Mariners get up. And I apologise to Melbourne City for saying that, but it's just the way it is for well, the majority of people. the funny thing is, 10 years ago, the, the roles were reversed. Everyone wanted the Wanderers to win in their first season because <laughs> that was going to be the yeah. perfect fairy tale. I remember Graham Arnold going, oh, you all just want the Wanderers <laughs> to win because, you know, they're the new kids and we've been around forever. And it's like, well, they're, to a degree, yeah, we all love a fairy tale. Um, I just want a great game, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I can just imagine Graham Arnold saying that. Can't imagine Radio Vidicic saying it. Yeah, Jamie McLaren, Scott Jamison, probably. And they might have a little crack at someone at some stage, but that's what we've got to look forward to. So it's going to be an awesome affair. Tickets for the grand final on sale for Melbourne City and Mariners Club members. For non-participating club members, they'll go on sale 11 a.m. Tuesday, May 23. General public tickets going on sale from 11 a.m. on Wednesday, the 24th of May. After the build-up we've just given, how can you not be excited? to go to the grand final um, this season because uh, there is such an awesome uh, showpiece events coming to us with so many great storylines. So I think we've done the build-up to it a fair bit of justice. Before that, on the Thursday night, there'll be the Dolan Warren Awards, which... uh 
going to be uh, the subject of much discussion as well. Let's do a little preview of them. Let's start with the Johnny Warren medal. Um, so for me, it's a three-horse race, three Aussies, Craig Goodwin, uh, Brandon Borello, and, and Jamie McLaren. And Aussie won it last year in Jake Brimmer. Before that, who was the last Aussie to win it, Tom? Quiz question on the spot. Uh, you have to give me more notice than that. I'm Ten getting years old these ago, days. Wellington Phoenix. Aussie. Nathan Burns. Yes. Couple of clues, but you got there eventually. Well, I'm, I am aging. <laughs> so a long time between Australian drinks. You'd say it's very likely there would be back-to-back Aussie winners this year. Can you see anyone spoiling uh, the party for one of Borello, Goodwin, or McLaren? Who I don't think anyone would begrudge winning it if it was any of those three. They, they seem to have broken from the rest, and, and there's probably a, a blanket you could throw across all three of them. From those three, I think you're absolutely right. I think it will come from one of those three. If there was a, an outsider. Maybe you, I mean, you could throw Jason Cummings' hat. Another Aussie, technically. So, Another you know. year, technically. I think if you look at the season he's had, I mean, the amount of goals that he's scored, but it's not just the goals, it's not just the, the cum dog persona, it's it's the role he plays within that team. You know, summed up perfectly by the way in which he set up Sam Silver at the weekend. He's he's such, he, he's way more of a selfless player than people give him credit yeah, for. Yeah, big time. And, and he has been, you know, the. Uh, the inspiration among a few others for that Mariners side this year. So, yeah, Tom, for me, I think if there was to be one outside those three, it would probably be Jason Cummings. And it's funny uh, the, the degree to which uh, the extra opportunity that getting all the way to the grand final gives you to stake that claim. Um, you know, the golden boot winner is sort of decided by round 27. But Whereas we're looking at, say, talking about Tilio as a candidate for Young Player of the Year, which we'll get on to, um, you know, it's because of the way that he's played in, in the finals. And similarly, um, Cummings' performance on Saturday night, make you, you kind of, it's that slightly that recency bias, you know, because mm. he's, he's in there. But you, you look at Craig Goodwin's form f- through to the World Cup was impressive. Then he was at the World Cup and he did so well and he came back and tore it up. And Colby admitted when it's a slightly weird answer to the question on Saturday night whether or not that he was uh, Goodwin was the favourite for Johnny Warren. He, and he went off about how we've been relying on him too much. Well, so many goals, so many assists. Yes, you are relying on him a lot, but any team would rely on a figure yeah. so influential. For me, in the end, the Wanderers fell short. So uh, Borello had a wonderful season. I'm not quite sure he's there. For, for me, it's... it's and, and McLaren, it's weird. Strikers who score loads and loads and loads of goals don't tend to win individual accolades. Bobo scored the most goals until, until the record was broken. Um, didn't win Johnny Warren. I, I, I think it'll be Craig Wood, Goodwin, and I think it'll be deserved. Yeah, McLaren doesn't poll well traditionally. I think he should poll a lot better. And I can understand why he doesn't, because people say that he's just there to finish it off. But that, that's still a skill. That's an art. He still has to do it. He does it with such regularity. I think he should get more credit and, and more votes as a result. Maybe this year he will. Who knows? But yeah, I'd say Goodwin, just ahead of Borello. Both of them were uh, spearheads for their team, talisman, if you like. And they won't have too many taking votes off them. McLaren might have a few others taking votes off him. Zavada could be a little uh, party pooper, potentially because I think he'll dominate the voting for a Phoenix side that up until the last six weeks or so were going pretty well. He'll get a lot of votes in that period. Um, just maybe he'll figure towards the end of the count. So it's going to be an exciting one because there are so many Aussies up the top and it is a rarity for Australians to win the, the Johnny Warren medal. What about Coach of the Year? Um, we have an interesting uh, controversy coming into the Men's Coach of the Year award in that the favourite, I think the person we'd all agree should win it, Nick Montgomery, is uh, is ineligible because he was sent off. Um, so a lot of people, I think, when that award, award is announced, will raise... 
the ire uh, towards that uh, that criteria. It perhaps is a controversial one, but it has ruled uh, Nick Montgomery ineligible. He would be my selection. I, I dare say you two would agree who wins it, if um, considering Monty can't. It's a really interesting question because of, of that rule. Uh, Montgomery, head and shoulders, the other coaches say that, that what he's done with that club, the way they play, where they've got to, makes him, he should, in those criteria, is easily coach of the year. The, the rules say he's ineligible, therefore you look down the, the league table. Um, I would argue that Carl Viet did wonderful, wonderful things with Adelaide over the last three years, but they've fallen at this hurdle. Maybe he needed to take them that step further, just get to the grand final to show that he's, he's they're building and building. Um, I'm, I'm going to say controversially, the, what Mark Rudin did at Western Sydney, a squad with 19 new faces, a team that hadn't made the final since 2017, the way that the football they produced at times, yes, they fell short, but in the grand scheme of things, if you'd said to the Wanderers fans after the miserable time they've had for years, you'll finish fourth, you'll you'll get to this into the finals, you're going to play some great football and see some fantastic footballers um, and a real promise of what's to come. I think they'd have taken it. And I think on that basis, I'd give it to Rudin. Yeah, Marco Rodam. I, I think if you if we're looking obviously outside who it should be and, and Nick Montgomery, um it's like the classic, isn't it? <laughs> we don't write the headlines sort of thing. It's, it's not how we don't decision. write the rules. We don't write the rules. But yeah, I think Marco Rodam, based on purely I think, you know, sometimes you look at footballing projects, which I think the uh, the Wanderers have become a project this year because of the sheer amount of new faces that he's brought in and, and moulded together. Um they're probably I dare say this, there may be a season ahead of where most people thought they would be, given the amount of people that they brought into the club. Yeah, you know, they've got a couple of characters within the squad that, you know, people don't, fans haven't necessarily warmed to across the league, but that's all part of the theatre, isn't it? And I think yeah. the fact that they got to where they did, undoubtedly, I think they 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 fell short of where they thought they might be, because I think most people expected them to probably beat Sydney FC, and they didn't, and they and they really let themselves down because they didn't play particularly well in that especially that second half of the game but I think if you look across the season if there was to be another count I mean Ufuk Tale's done really well Rado Vidicic people say well he's guided them to another Premier's plate that's nothing against Rado Vidicic I think the foundations were already there yeah um, I think yeah Marco Rudan would be yeah and Ruben Zakovic did a really good job at Perth Glory too uh, they performed above expectations for me Oblig- it's obligatory Perth reference there <laughs> <laughs> for me it's um, it's Monty then I've got Colby a second I think Adelaide I know what you're saying they, they've fallen at that hurdle but I don't think their squad apart from Craig Goodman is necessarily brimming with top level talent I think he's got them to perform at a high level for a long period um, so I think Colby is my choice just while we're on the coaches Tom I wanted to ask you this question when we dissected the Melbourne City Sydney FC game well Steve Corrie could be there next year at Sydney FC, do you think, next season? I think the uh, the politest way I can put it is, as I put it in the story, the, is it's, the whole situation is a lot more nuanced. In, normally, you could say a, a coach who took his team to a semi-final and halfway through that semi-final, the game was in the balance and people were talking about Sydney going down there and shocking City. You'd go, that's, that's not a coach who's going anywhere. Go back a few weeks, go back to the discontent amongst the fans, the, the rumours that um, one bad result was was going to be curtains for Corica. Now, he's a terrifically determined individual. He's a, he's a good guy. He's fought his way back and his team are clearly still playing for him. He also waited until it, well, it took a long time to get key players back on the pitch, which was maybe the real Sydney FC that we saw. It's a really difficult a situation for the Sydney FC board to address because I don't think they can be satisfied ultimately with the season as a whole but equally their coach 
got to within touching distance of the grand final and that is a magnificent case of fence sitting yeah <laughs> just gonna say we're all the way around the house and we landed up at the same spot um yeah i'm not sure exa- yeah it's gonna be an interesting one and it's also the squad that there could be a lot of players leaving and full turnover of what's been such a successful group such an interesting situation there yeah, my gut feel would be that there might be a change, but you need someone who's going to be better than him to, to come in and, and take over. Is there an option, potentially? Do they go abroad? I don't know. But, um, yeah, it just feels like he needed a slightly bigger scalp, as big as the Wanderers were, to stay on, maybe. It's going to be a, a big call for the Sydney FC board to make. Um, the Young Player of the Year awards are a really interesting one, and this will be a big call too because we've discussed it before the show started and we had three different options. So the nominations are Callum Neuenhoff, Carlo Amiento, Callan Elliott from the Phoenix, Jordan Boss, Noah Bottic, and Marco Tilio. Your pick, James. Um, I think there's three candidates there, and, and for me, I, I think based on where he was last year, the move he made the season he's had and the way in which he's grown as a person from what I understand from people at the club and, and the way he's grown physically Callum Neuenhoff would be my pick because I think you know there was a lot of he was of three signings that Sydney FC made uh, sorry Wanderers made with, with Sydney FC Ninkovic was obviously the one that was top billing then you had Callum Neuenhoff and, and the strength and conditioning coach that they poached from, from Sydney FC as well those two working in tandem Callum Neuenhoff and, and, and the strength and conditioning team as a whole has seen him blossom into a fabulously gifted footballer. We knew we saw glimpses before at Sydney before he got injured, and then you know the classic "you didn't want him" line comes to mind. And and I think what I like so much about Callum Neuenhoff is that he plays the game with such enthusiasm, intelligence as well. You know, he's not he's not he doesn't just charge around like a headless chicken, but he he he's got that ability that young that it's so rare in young players that they want the ball all the time but he he knows when to ask for the ball he wants the ball in the right areas he doesn't just say give me the ball and I'll try and dribble past people and make something happen and and that is such a such a, a rare skill to possess because he's he's got a really good head on his shoulders and I've interviewed him a couple of times Callum he's a very nice human being the club love him the people the staff love him for me I'd, I'd say Callum Neuenhoff and you know there's no no coincidence that when he has the season that he's had he impresses the people that he's impressed and then his name starts getting linked with a move overseas and that would not have been the case last year. So, yeah, for me, it's Callum Neuenhoff. I'm going to go Marco Tilio. Um, wasn't convinced two years ago that he had the drive within him, the, the, the aggressiveness to take that talent and force his way into a team and force his way into games. But he is starting to dominate games. He's starting to dominate teams and occasions. Uh, I think there is... No upside to his talent, no limit rather, should say, to the, up, to the upside to his talent. And um, I think he's an excitement machine and we're in the court of public opinion. They love attackers. Um, so I'm going to say, Marco Tilio, for all that I endorse what you've said about Neuenhoff and the uh, the intelligence of his play in someone so young. Was Jordan Boss playing basketball this season or something? Like, <laughs> I, He has to be the young player of the year. Like From the start of the campaign to the end... I, he stayed at that 8 out of 10 level all season long. I understand the shouts for the other two, but Boss just did it for longer. Has to be. Has to be. I mean, he's in the best team. But he's, he's played at the highest level all season long. Marco Tilio's in the best team as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. That's why I picked Callum. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I'm being a bit flippant. Both good candidates, but I think Jordan Boss just... I, I, I think I'm such a big fan of this kid, and he's been doing it. Maybe we got used to it. Maybe you grow accustomed to the, the, the platitudes that have been thrown his way and the superlatives. From the first week of the season, he's been at that level, and he's been such an important player for them. He's added so much um, to their Premier's Plate win and, and maybe the grand final win. So, Jordy Boss for me. What this discussion tells you, though, is the breadth of talent we've got in the league. It's if the great, three of us yeah. can't agree then it's, it's a good thing. Goal of the year, I think, is a far easier decision. Um, so Gio Colley's goal for Perth against Adelaide round four. Amiento for Brisbane against the Wanderers. Diamante for Western United against Sydney in round 13. Iren Kunda's goal into the top corner against the Victory away round 18. Neuenhoff's drive in the Sydney Derby round 21. And Marco Tullio for the Mariners against Adelaide in round 26. Are the nominations for goal of the year? Surely it's Diamante. We watched all the other ones before we, we came on and it was, it was clear. Nostalgia reasons, technique reasons, it's Diamante reasons. <laughs> he got to win goal of the year. Yeah, commentary as well. Simon Hill's commentary just works over the top of it as well. Off the Yeah, fantastic. It has to be Diamante. Save of the year was far more difficult. Um, I ended up going for Lawrence Thomas, but not with much conviction. I can't remember all of the nominations now and who they were against, but for me it was the Lawrence Thomas save for the Wanderers against early on in the Savada. campaign. Against yeah. Savada. Turns a header over Close the range. Yeah, uh, the reflex the, nature of it. It did for me. Dead heat. That and Ollie Sale, his leap across, uh, the save at the far post. That extraordinary reflexes. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we should. Uh, as a goalkeeper myself, I think we should talk about this for an hour. But uh, for dead heat for me between those two. Yeah, I'll, I'll um, submit to you guys. I initially was leaning towards Philip Curto saving against Melbourne Victory just because it's the, one of those pure instinct saves at such close range just throws his like Tom Glover against Sydney in the first semi uh, first leg of the semi-final but I think if if Lawrence Thomas is a more than worthy winner and uh, Garby I suppose that poses the question about goalkeeper of the year well so Danny Vukovic just probably sums him up in the sense that he's not nominated and maybe he didn't make too many camera saves of the season, Danny Vukovic. But he's my pick for goalkeeper of the year because oh, I think he's had an enormous impact on that Mariners team. Made some big saves when required, but he's just organised everyone. And they haven't got names in that defence, which we spoke about earlier. But uh, as a leader, as a captain, and as a performer, I think he was just a little bit better than some of the others, but there are plenty of good candidates. Yeah, Lawrence Thomas, I thought, had a terrific season, made some f- phenomenal saves, very dominating um, figure it, it, with a very well-credentialed, big-character defence. He was still a dominant figure for them and made a lot of good saves. Ollie Sale is a fantastic goalkeeper and week after week, you know, there, there were times when, when Wellington are bad, they're very bad mm. and they would concede a lot of chances and he was making save after save. Uh, he's a huge pickup for Perth next next season. Um, so I think there's a, there's a whole bunch of candidates there. Yeah, Lawrence Thomas, for me, just Nat, you know, if we were looking at you know a full list of goalkeepers rather than nominees, I think you're right. Vuka would absolutely have to be in there. I'm sure. I mean, there was a great save. I remember Danny Vukovic making away at MacArthur earlier in this year when they were really under the caution and held on for the win there. Oli Sal, it's great that all these goalkeepers are going to be in the league next season as well. Maybe Tom Glover, we're assuming, probably won't be. But yeah, I think Lawrence Thomas. And, and I think what's so nice, you, you touched on that Oli Sal save. I was at that game because when we were filming a, a feature on Brian Kaltak and he makes that save instinctively against James McGarry and that probably 
that way almost City did keep them in the game because then they went and equalised down at the other end through Zavada right in the last second and those sorts of points are that what ultimately probably got them into the finals in the first place so I love Oli Sal the, the Perth movie is really interesting but I think yeah Lawrence Thomas for me It's been a long pod this week but we're in such beautiful surrounds here at Allianz Stadium that uh, we thought we'd extend it a little bit more so thanks for staying with us and um, before we plug everything that's coming up across the Keep Up platforms Channel 10 Paramount Plus over the next week or so a grand final tip yes I know um, we've got a week off but in these early stages, fresh off the weekend, a quick grand final tip. I think it's going to go to penalties, uh, and I, I partly because I just wrote a big feature about uh, how this is a record number of penalties missed this season. But now we've got Sydney FC out of the competition. I think the averages will equal out. Um, I think it's it's going to be a really tight game in the sense of the scoreboard. I think there'll be a lot of attacking. Um, I think it's going to go to penalties, but I'm going to go for the Mariners. Uh, I think Melbourne City. I think Jamie McLaren has, you know, he's he's the sort of character and, and player that he notices all of the good praise and all of the criticism as well. And I think, you know, people talking about him necessarily not being the biggest performer on the big stages. I, th- I just think, as much as I, you know, I love the fairy tale of the Mariners and the story and and the components of that football club. I just think. This is a machine they're up against. I just think they've got so many big game players. I feel. I think the Mariners as well. I just think their attacking group is so strong and there still might be some issues at the back for Melbourne City. I think they, they might He really is death-riding the City defence, <laughs> isn't he? I think they might be able to run over them. I do. I think it'll be close. I could see extra time and penalties. I think, I'll, I'll say this. If it gets to extra time or pens, Melbourne City wins. If it's decided in 90 minutes... Mariners. If it gets to penalties and Melbourne City win, is that because of Tom Glover? I just or is think that because of the, the, I, I, the penalty taking? I think the experience for... of City as a group in those stages, the intensity of extra time penalties, they might just be able to get through it a little bit better. But I could see Mariners having the better of it early and then somehow hanging on. Look, doesn't mean anything, these predictions. It's just a lot of fun. And the grand final is going to be a lot of fun as well. We can't wait for it. Get your tickets if you haven't already. A-League's All Access this week is is the Central Coast Adelaide game. So 20,000 at Gosford. What a night. Make sure that you uh, relive all of that on A-League's All Access this week. The Players Pod is out with Robbie Cornthwaite as well. That's always a cracker. And uh, keepup.com.au for all of your football news as we build up to the decider. James Dodd, Tom Smithies, thanks for this prolonged chat. It's been enjoyable. How's this uh, Super Monday this has been, isn't it, Pod? wise it's been uh, really enjoyable absolutely loved every minute it's grand final fortnight not grand final week so soak up all the uh the build up to it we can't wait for it the mariners and melbourne city to decide the champions for 2023 <laughs> Nice. Future looking nice, we don't need to tell them twice. Yeah, we look nice, future looking real nice, we don't need to tell them twice. Oh.